Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts. We're continuing our study of the book of Acts. We're going to pick up right where my dad left off last week in Acts chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, flip it open. We will have it on the screen behind me, but never a bad idea to bring your own Bible. Double check and make sure I didn't skip any lines, because I'll be honest, I do type and copy it. And every once in a while, I find myself typing the wrong thing. So, all right. Um, hey, let's jump right in. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, okay, real quick, this is a pet peeve of mine, and I need a confession out of everybody. Who gets annoyed or who says, I'm going up or down to Kansas City? Who says, I'm going down to Kansas City? Or who gets annoyed? I get annoyed by that because I'm like, I can't stand that. I'm like, oh, down to Kansas City or up to Oklahoma City? Don't say it. Oh, but hear, hear me out. Uh, go to the first map, Jess. Um, I think Luke, the writer of Acts, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, I think he's on to something. Um, so you see Peter was in Caesarea, Caesarea um, and that was the episode with Cornelius found in chapter 10, and we're about to read more about it. All right, and you can see Jerusalem over here. Now, Caesarea is a coastal right, town, probably about zero feet right, uh, sea level. Jerusalem is known as a city on a hill, Mount Zion. It's higher in elevation. So I, it is south, I agree, but I think Luke wasn't like totally off his rocker because you would technically be going up in elevation to Jerusalem. And now to go further with this, I was like, oh gosh. So I googled the elevation of Wichita, 1,300 feet, just so everybody knows, and I googled the elevation of Kansas City, and it's 900 feet elevation, so they're not wrong if they say they're going down to Kansas City. It's just annoying, though. It really is annoying. So I, I couldn't get over that. It kept holding me up, and now they're technically right, but I still don't like it, so whatever. You guys are off the hook if you say that. All right, hey, let's keep... <laughs> what? I didn't check Oklahoma City, but don't check it now. I want you to pay attention. But afterwards, we can find out and we can, we can figure that one out, all right? <laughs> so Peter went up to Jerusalem and the, uh, up to Jerusalem. The circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, now if you've seen Ant-Man, all right, I'm about to see the third Ant-Man comes out in a month, I'm super excited. If you've seen the movie Ant-Man, this is the point in the, the movie where they're like, all right, check this out, and they repeat the whole story and they do all the voiceovers with all the different characters. This is what Peter is about to say, and he is about to re-go over the entire chapter 10 episode. And so again, for the fourth time, we're going to look at this story of Cornelius. So here we go. Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. 
right then there. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. The six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, the criticizing Jews, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, when, when, when reading narratives and, and stories like this, Acts is very much a book of narratives. Uh, if something is repeated, if you have somebody that elaborates on uh, something like that, the author is saying, I need you to pay attention to this story. It is important. I just laid out how it went, and now I have somebody repeating the narrative over again. You'll see this as you read the Bible in different places. It is always very purposeful. This story is very important to the whole book of Acts. Acts is a beautiful book. It's exciting. Like I said, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, that writer, it's believed that he wrote Acts as well, and it kind of picks up right where the Gospel of Luke ends, all right? And what's great about Luke is he's just a really good writer, and so he kind of gives you his thesis statement, if you will, in the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, hey, you're going to receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses. To where? In Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you want to throw up that first map again, that would be great so you could see. Because what follows that is exactly that. Chapter 2, the, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. And then what is Peter, where does he give his famous speech or his famous sermon that 2,000 people you know, come to know Jesus that every pastor is jealous of and hopes they can one day emulate to some degree, all right? You know, that was always the joke in preaching class and stuff. When are we going to have the 2,000 people come to sermon? Woo! You know, all right? He does that in Jerusalem. It starts there. And then as you read and keep going in the book of Acts, chapter after chapter, you'll see Peter starts expanding outside of Jerusalem, but in Judea. And he does go to Lydda and Joppa and the surrounding towns. And it starts to grow. Another disciple, Philip, goes to Samaria. Right? It starts expanding. And then we'll eventually get to Paul and Barnabas who will take it to the ends of the earth. It's beautiful. He's very systematic. Very structured in his writing. So chapters 10, 11, and 12 are really, uh, of the book of Acts, are these kind of transitional chapters. Uh, they're the interlocking chapters. They're connecting the past and what had just happened to what is about to happen. The first, you know, they say the first 12 chapters of Acts are really centered on Peter and really centered on his uh, ministry to the Jews, especially in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, right? But then 12 and on, if you read and you go ahead, you're going to see it really focuses on Paul and Barnabas. And if you want to throw up the second map, Paul and Barnabas and their missionary journeys, right? They take three of them and look at where they go. Man, they are all the way up in, in Asia, technically. At that time, was referred to as Asia, Macedonia. You get into the Roman Empire. They are all over the place. 
And that's just, again, Luke, just beautiful storyteller saying, hey, they're taking this thing to the ends of the earth. It's beautiful. So what does he do with this story of Cornelius? Why does he repeat it? Because it's important for a story to show that, hey, this is, uh, well, let's fast forward to when uh, Luke wrote it. He wrote uh, Acts believed to be about 110 A.D., okay? So give or take 10 years. It's hard to nail down when exactly something was written. So you can imagine that at that period of time, and according to Acts, we'll just say the church, even though I don't like to use that term, we'll say the movement, the way, Judaism at that time, all right, had become predominantly uh, Gentile. The Gentiles were responding very well to the message. You read, again, you keep reading in Acts, what happens with Paul and Barnabas? They go to the synagogue, the Jews are all, hate them, they want to kill them, but then the Gentiles are like, hey man, we really like your message. And then numbers were added, all right? And they were predominantly Gentile. So you can imagine about the time of this writing, he's showing, you know, he's telling people, hey, why is, why is uh, Judaism so like, so many Gentile worshipers? Like, I thought Judaism was like for the Jews and stuff. He's like, well, let me show you. Started with this guy named Cornelius, all right? A Gentile, referred to as a Gentile in the text. And it started with Peter. Again, this is an important detail because if you're a Jew and it would have been some Joe Schmo, you would have been like, uh, do we trust this guy? I mean, do we really trust this guy? And the fact that it not just was Peter, but it came through angels, right? Angel appeared to Cornelius. Peter had a vision. Shows us that it came from God. It wasn't like Peter was, you know, in the temple one day like, you know, membership is down. Guys, our budget, I don't know if we're going to make it. We need a new gaga ball pit for the kids. We've got to up our budget to make it for inflation. Let's invite the Gentiles into our way. Yeah! No, it didn't happen like that, all right? Very much was an angel of the Lord. God saying, hey, as it says in chapter 10, Peter says, I know, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Luke again showing people Gentiles have the Holy Spirit as well. You can imagine, and again, I'm doing a lot of background stuff because Acts is so dense and so great. But if you read ahead in Acts, Acts chapter 15 is the Jerusalem Council where you can see that this is becoming... Uh, uh, so big, there's so many Gentiles coming into this uh, movement that they're like, okay, what do we, okay, we have to deal with this. Okay, what do we do with this? Do we make them become really Jewish? Do we make them uh, obey all of our laws and the Jewish law? And they're having this council and they're debating and they're trying to figure out what, what, how do we invite them in? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they not? This was really becoming a thing. And so you can imagine by 110 AD when this is writing, uh, you could probably already start seeing factions, right? Gentile Christians, uh, historically born descendants of Jewish nation, and who's better, and who is, who's true Israel, uh, and who's kind of the outside looking in. And again, just fast forward even more to history, about the end of the second century, so probably about 90 years, 80 years after this was written, that is, unfortunately, when you start getting Christians and Jews, and they become synonymous. 
uh, not synonymous, excuse me, they become uh, exclusive, they become opposites, they become differing characteristics. It's really sad because I think Peter and Paul would say, no, we are the same, we're Jews. This is Judaism fulfilled. Why Christians was a kind of an outsider's name to kind of distinguish you, so to speak, but they never gave it to themselves. Um, it's unfortunately kind of sad. But you can see that Luke, again, back to kind of my original point if we got off track there, Luke's just trying to tell people, hey, the Gentiles are one of us as well. All right? They're with us. They have received the Holy Spirit as well. And look at this beautiful story with Cornelius that shows us that came through Peter, through a vision, through God, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the ones who fear him. This is beautiful. And it ends after Peter's uh, kind of recollection of this episode with praise of God. You know, this is what I want us to get. I, I, it was two weeks ago that I knew I was going to be preaching on this passage. And, uh, you know, reading this passage and, you know, put it on the, uh, the sermon stove, get it simmering, right? That's what I like to do. You know, start rolling it over in my mind, thinking about it. And, uh, and I'm thinking about it, and for a while there I'm like, all right, what's the application? <laughs> How does this help us? 2023, how does this speak to us? And uh, it was pretty great. It was this past week. And you know how sometimes the Lord just kind of speaks through conversations and, and different things. And he's, he's like, he's like giving hints as to like the key to the passage, you know, through conversations with people. And then finally, you're just like, there it is. And you know what it is? Narratives aren't about you. Narratives aren't about me. Narratives are not about us. Narratives are about God. God is the main character in a narrative. God is the one whom they really, truly are about. It's not about you. It's not about me. And I think, you know, I realize in my, in my own reading of Scripture, and, and I think I've, I've seen it as well, um, and others, and, and I think it can be really tempting to read Scripture and constantly be asking, what, how does this apply to me? How does this influence me? Why is this important to me? And I think... Well, how that kind of plays out is why I think so many of us don't like the Old Testament. <laughs> or certain books in the Old Testament, right? It doesn't apply to me. Why am I reading this? I'm not a history buff. I'm not like David and Reese and oh man, John or whoever the other history buffs are. You know, I don't care about this. I just, why, how does this apply to me? You know, I'll be honest. Exodus, second half of Exodus might be the hardest Part in scripture for me to read. It's about the building of the tabernacle. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, I don't care. I don't want to say that totally, but I'm just like, oh, it's rough. I mean, you know, the rings of the curtains and the curtains are this color and they need to be this big. And, you know, this has to be overlaid with gold and nobody can touch this. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. All right. Let's just, you know, I'll be honest. I look up a YouTube video of the tabernacle and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm reading it while I'm watching the tabernacle. <laughs> Uh, total confession, confession. Uh, you know, I had, I had a uh, professor in college that said, uh, you know, he's like, you know, one day Leviticus will be one of your favorite books of the Bible. And we all laughed because we're all like, <laughs> you know, and I make jokes all the time. You know, people are like, what are we going to study? I'm like, Leviticus. <laughs> you know, because Leviticus is tough. But you know what? It's not about us. Leviticus isn't about us. Leviticus is about God. The tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle is about God. 
beautiful, building of the tabernacle is so beautiful when you really are focused on God and you're like, oh my gosh, we essentially as humanity committed adultery. That's the common metaphor in the Old Testament for the people of God. You've committed adultery against me. And God is, is agreeing though, though you've committed adultery and though, gosh, I lead you out of Egypt and you still want to make calves to other gods and you still don't want to obey and you guys are, are disobeying at every turn and you're just so annoying, right? You know? And he's like, you know what? I still will, will dwell with you. I will still be with you. I will still live in your camp. In Leviticus, golly, and as we sang, we sing about holiness. And Leviticus is all about God's holiness, His purity, His goodness. And He's saying, man, I'm just so good. I'm just so pure. Yes, we have to get some things right in order to live together. You can't just barge into the Holy of Holies, man. You'd be consumed by it. You read, you read in the Old Testament about prophets who come into the throne room of God and they're all like, every one of them are like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And God's like, no, I will make you holy. And He makes them holy to be able to stand there. Because they realize up against God's holiness, boy, I'm just going to be consumed. Can't stand in the presence of it. And so yeah, you read in Leviticus all these laws and all these customs and all these things they had to do to be clean and so that they could be in the presence of God and that they could be around. And, and then the, the great high priest to be able to enter the Holy of Holies once a year. It's very beautiful. It's, it's very telling of God's character. And I know sometimes holiness... You know, God being holy and God being a little bit standoffish and hard to get to is, is uncharacteristic for how we view God because it's just how we view it. Because, you know, we're like, well, how could he never not allow me to have an audience with him? But if you read and you keep reading the story of the Bible, you see how beautiful this is, how beautiful God is. You know, once he dwelt in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and one man, once a year, probably for not very long, would get to enter it. Then you fast forward to Jesus, and you see God, man, and now he's interacting face-to-face -face with people, and he's talking face-to-face -face with people, the same God. And again, Leviticus all about clean and unclean. And, and how to become clean and how to be unclean and all these things you have to do to make sure you're clean and don't do this to make yourself unclean. And you fast forward to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and you have a man born with leprosy, a man who has leprosy, unclean, and saying, Jesus, I'm unclean, make me clean. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus touches him. Jesus touches him. It's a huge deal. That's a big no-no in Leviticus. But you can see how God, not growing, not changing, God just doing things in a new way, in a more intimate way, as he's progressing with, not progressing, he's not progressing, as history is moving on, as his plan is unfolding, he is doing something new and doing something different. And it's quite beautiful and it's quite amazing what he is doing. And so you get to this passage in Acts where, where, where Peter's like, I haven't done anything unclean. I would never do something like this. And he's like, don't call anything unclean that I say is clean. Don't do that. God, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when we take our eyes off ourselves and we stop jumping to the application stage where it's like, well, what, how does this apply to me? It, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. God is the main character in your story, I think, is the first point. Sometimes we think of our story. We think we're the main character. You're not. You're not. 
God is the main character in your story. And this has a whole host, whole host of application, folks. And, and I talked about it uh, uh, last month. I gave a sermon on fixing your eyes on God, right? Give the football analogy of a, of a quarterback in a pocket. If he gets too focused on the lineman in front of him, he loses sight of, of his receivers downfield, and it's bad news. And it's just a big no-no in the quarterback uh quarterback position. You just can't. You just have to trust your lineman, and boy, you got, you're going to take some hits, but you have to do it because you have to keep your eyes downfield. And we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I think my second point is this. We have to keep our eyes on God, take our eyes off of ourselves, but, but put our eyes on God, especially when it comes to reading Scripture and especially narratives, which I think is your second point. Think about yourself less when reading narratives. Guys, we have a propensity postmodernism, our United States culture, we think about ourselves a lot. We think about ourselves a lot. We focus on ourselves. We focus on our lives. We focus on our goals. We focus on what we want. We ruminate constantly on our dreams or our desires or what we don't have. We're constantly thinking about ourselves. And it's tough. I'm right there with you. We're all in this together. We're all in the same Petri dish. And it's all a temptation there. And it's always going to be there to think about ourselves, to put me first, right? And God, somewhere down the line, but it's easy depending on who you are, but He's, he's behind me, right? And we think about ourselves and what we want to have planned, what we want to do with our lives, what we're going to do with our money, what what whatever, and we constantly what? We want God to kind of bless it, right? Come along. Get along, God. Come along. Follow me. I need you to bless this and make this happen for me. We have this propensity. I have that propensity. We all have this propensity. And gosh, Luke is reminding us continually through narratives, through stories, look at God. Look at what He is doing. Look at the beauty of God. Look how, how great He is. Look at how wonderful He is. That He is not exclusive. Remember, we are all Gentiles. We would all be considered in the Gentile pool. Alright? If we were living in this day and age. We would be in there. So if God was exclusive, it would be like, too bad, so sad. Thank God He doesn't show favoritism. Thank God He invites all those who would wish to call on His name. All those that want to come to Him, He invites them and says, Come. Come to Me. He invites us all. Thank God. It's beautiful. It's hard to see it. I kid you not. It's hard to see God's beauty. It's hard to worship God. When your eyes are on yourself. Keith Green, one of the best songs ever written. Make my life a prayer. says, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. It's so hard to see when my eyes are on me, I would add. It's so hard to see God when your eyes are on you. It's so hard to see that God is in control of your life when all you're looking at are all the issues, all the problems, all the unmet desires. It's so hard to trust in the Lord that He is good, that He cares, that He is who He is, that He's got a plan, that He's in control. When we're just focused on 
ourselves in self-preservation. So hard. Man, it's so hard to see what God is doing in creation through the church, what he was doing through Peter and Paul and Barnabas and through those missionary journeys. So hard to see the value, the beauty of what they were doing, saving people from their sins, bringing the gospel, the good news. It's hard to value that and really see that as an important thing on this earth. And during this time, the short span that we have on this earth, and we're college group is in Ecclesiastes, and we're learning all about how your life is that. Bam. Your life is that. Right? It's a good reminder. Sometimes you got to remind it. Your life, boom. And it's so hard to value that, to value what the church is doing, to value the importance of the church when I'm just about me. Just about my goals in life. I'm just about whatever those may be. It's different for each and every one of us. But it's easy to diminish the value of the church. To diminish the value of the good news of the gospel and how important it is on this earth and how desperately needed it is all over the world to the ends of the earth. It's tough to see. And I'm not excluded from that. Man, ladies and gentlemen, if I could just be clear and to the point, I would say this. Where are you standing? Are you standing in between you and God? Peter said, hey, I'm not going to stand. Who am I to stand in the way of God's way? Who am I to stand in that way? Who am I to say, you know, no, not like this. Who am I to say that? Where are you standing? Are you standing in a position that you're not supposed to be standing. Are you standing in the main character, the leading role position of your life? Are you sitting in that chair? I imagine there's probably a chair on movie sets that's like, lead role, this person gets to sit here. It's probably a really nice seat right next to the donuts and all the coffee and stuff. I don't know. You know, are you sitting there? It's not your seat. Hey, it's not your place. We don't play the leading role well. You know, we just don't do it well. We're just not that actor. Some actors just aren't the leading role material, right? But they're amazing, amazing supporting cast. Amazing supporting cast. That's where we thrive. Boy, that's where we thrive. Ladies and gentlemen, verse 18 says, when they heard this, they had no further objections. These criticizing Jews, they're like, Peter, you didn't do what the law said. We're not supposed to be, you know, fraternizing with the Gentiles, you know, and you did that. And after Peter's like, hey, this came from God. They had no further objections, and they praised God. So then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It's hard to worship God when our eyes are on ourselves. Hard to really worship God and to see His goodness and the beauty of His goodness in this world when I'm just, I'm not getting what I want from God. Or I'm not getting this. Or I got this thing. And I get it. It's hard. Boy, do I get it. It's hard. It's really hard. But man, I just think we miss out. We miss out. Uh, we just miss out on what's there. We miss out on, on uh, so much because we're just, 
we're focused on this. And we, we haven't looked up. And we haven't looked out. And we haven't seen what God is doing. And so my encouragement this morning is to, to really let go. Um, man, to, to look up. To take your place, not in the leading role, behind God, to follow Him, to see what He is doing on this earth, and really especially through the church. And how does your supporting cast role line up with God? What is He calling you to do? What role is He calling you to play in this? The church has the greatest commodity in the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And are we hoarding it? And are we just keeping it to ourselves? I get it. It's tough sometimes to talk about Jesus. But is it not just because we're, we're focused on ourselves? It's going to come out wrong. I'm concerned it's going to come out weird. Or I'm, I'm concerned how they're going to view me. Or I'm concerned about being awkward about it. Or I'm concerned about... See, you're just thinking about yourself. Your eyes are on yourself. Let it go. Let it go. Get them off. See what Jesus is doing. Man, the gospel is beautiful. Paul, Barnabas, Peter. Praise God, man. Praise God for their mission. Right? We're part of that. We're the fruits of that. They're still bearing fruits from that. 2,000 years ago. And we are probably the fruits of that, of their labor, as it spread like wildfire through the whole Roman Empire, as it spread throughout the whole world. And I know, it, it, yeah, just because it spread, but so you got to reignite it. And I think we want to see reignition, and we want to see the church continue to flourish. Boy, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves, and we got to get our eyes off of just thinking about our lives as, as our own. Start really putting them on God. Start seeing God. Man, I want to invite Jason up um, to lead us in worship with one more song because it ends with worship. They heard that the Gentiles are now receiving the Holy Spirit and they praised God because they could see, wow, God is so good. And God is so great. And I want us really during this time to take our eyes off of again our problems, our unmet desires. Those, those responsibilities that weigh on us, those, those things that you got going on in your life that, that, man, I just got so much and I'm just constantly ruminating on it. I'm constantly dwelling on this. Let it go. Let it go. Man, I want you to let go of your dreams, your desires for the future. Let it go. Let it go. Let them go for a second. Man, let them go for a day. Let them go. And praise God what He's doing now. Here and now. Who He is. Who He's always been. We just couldn't see it. Praise God. Let's put our eyes on Him. And I think as we do this, and as we grow in this, then what feels like right now, it's like, okay, well, I didn't really get anything from that, Grant. Yeah, why well, do we practice this? I think that picture of God, or really who God is, will start to, to grow and to become more potent and vibrant and more perceivable. Um, but again, hard to see when your eyes are on yourself. It is. 
we block out the screen, we take up the whole foreground, maybe in art, and it's hard to see pastors. Man, let's join in Peter and in these Jews who praise God for who he is and for what he's doing in our midst, amen, for what he's doing through the church in our world, amen, amen. Why don't we bring the lights down a little bit? And uh, sometimes that just helps us to maybe maybe block out a little bit of the things that are going around us. Right? It's not done for dramatic effect. At least here I hope it's not. It's it's done to help us focus. Right? to focus on him. Oh 
all about you, all about you, Lord. Yes, I honor you, and we worship you. Oh, we honor you, Lord. given your Holy Spirit to the Gentiles and you did 2,000 years ago. We thank you that you uh, do not show favoritism but accept all who would come to you, all who would want to, to know you, to be with you. God, we're so, so grateful for your Holy Spirit, for this greater intimacy that we have with your Holy Spirit, with you, God, that resides in our heart. God, may we just come from this with just more praise. More focus on you. Help us, God, to see you more clearly. To see what you're doing through the church in our community in Wichita and all over the world. God, may we take a part in that. May we just glorify you, God, and bring glory to you and praise to you and not just think about ourselves. Help us, Father God. Help us in We desperately need your Holy Spirit. But we love you, God. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your long-suffering with us. We thank you for your great mercy and grace and how you, you, you work with each and every one of us where we're at. God, may we put you ahead of us. May we follow you and not ask you to follow us. God, help us. And may we just see your beauty even more, more beautiful. God, we love you. We do praise you. And we all said together, Amen. Amen. Praise you. 